Welcome to New Year, New You, Week 2. Uh, my name is Ed Martin. I'm one of the pastors at Community Christian, and we are so glad you came to be with us. As uh, you just heard in that video, we are uh, learning these days from the greatest talk that Jesus ever gave. Uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And many people think it might be the greatest talk that anyone has ever given. Uh, it, I told you last week that it's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus had a large crowd of people following him, and uh, he wanted to get where he could teach them, so he went to a mountainside. He sat down, and then they all gathered around so that they could see and hear him. And uh, since he was sitting on a mount, they began to call it uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in this last week, we opened ourselves up to allow Jesus to talk to us about a problem uh, that was a problem for them in one way, but it's become a huge problem in our culture called approval addiction. It is the desire that we have to live for the approval of others, to make my life about getting the like and the approval of everyone around me. It's as if we begin to think that what people think about me is who I actually am. And while uh, making a good impression is an important thing, I think most of us know that there comes a point in our life where it goes from making a good impression to a little bit of vanity and feeding my own ego, and then from vanity, it can move over into a problem area where I'm presenting myself as something that I'm really not, just so I can gain the approval of others. And the problem with this moving along this continuum is that you don't know when you move from one stage to another. Now, you can see when your friend moves from being okay to vanity to maybe something else, and maybe they can see when you do it, but you can't see it in yourself. So Jesus invites us into a different way of living. Instead of living for the approval of other people around us, he says, I invite you to live for the approval of the audience of one, to live your life as if God alone can see what you do. That you come to a place where you live that you live in the gaze of the one who fully loves you. He gave you the desire to be approved, and he's the one that can fully, totally approve you. In that, Jesus says that to get to that place in life, you're going to need this practice that's called secrecy. In secrecy, I, I begin to do good things. I do the things that I would do to make an impression. I do them, but I do them so that other people won't see them. I do them in secret. Now, people may see them, but I am not doing them so people will see them. Uh, Jesus says, when you practice secrecy, you can begin to live in the audience of one. And last week, I got to the end and I said, so let's all go do that. Let's all go practice secrecy. Go do good for somebody and don't tell anybody about it. And uh, so I was tempted to ask you if you'd gone out and done that this week. And then I realized, oh, I'd be blowing the whole secrecy thing. So for those of you who did actually go out and you began to do this, good for you. And for those of you who haven't done that yet, uh, it's the nature of our God that today is a whole new day. New mercy from Him every day. So today is still your chance. And I urge you to go do it and to keep at it because in this practice of secrecy, what we're doing is I'm handing the PR department of my life over to God and I begin to do this experiment with Jesus where I find out that Jesus is actually true. And the God who sees in secret, he begins to reward me. And the reward is, I become a good person. I become the kind of person that can do good with only in the eyes of God. And no one else has to see me. Now this week, uh, Jesus is going to talk to us about secrecy as it applies to the area of giving. But before I begin to uh, show you what Jesus talked about, I want to show you something else, and it's something I think 
some of you are really going to like. If you were to go to ashleyparkchurch.com uh, right now, and I hope you will, you'll find there, if you scroll down a little bit, there's a place where I have left notes for this particular talk for you. So my notes are given to you at that particular place. And when you click on that card and open it up, as you scroll down, you'll see where I'm at in the talk. And then you'll notice there's a place where you can add your own notes. Anything you want to put in there that seemed good to you uh, to write at that particular time might be your grocery list for all I know. I don't care. Uh, that was important last week too. But anyway, uh, as you continue to scroll down to the bottom of this thing and you get to the end of it, you will notice that there's a place if you will put in your email address, uh, the website will actually send you my notes and your notes combined so that when you get home, uh, you will have the things that you thought during this and maybe you can actually begin to apply them. Or you can take them and when they come into your email box, you can put them in your spam folder if that's what you thought was appropriate after you hear this me message. In the end, uh, I don't really care <laughs> what, what you do with it. No, that's not true. I really hope that this will help you in actually doing what we see. And so now when I see people on their phones uh, when I'm teaching or when I'm at Ashley Park and I see you on your phones, I'll assume that you're taking notes on what's being said, not just browsing around on, on the interwebs. And if that is in fact what you're doing, again, I'll just say, I don't care. Now, here we go on to what Jesus has to say uh, with regard to giving uh, in this area of secrecy. Here's what he actually said. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I know everybody doesn't agree with me. But I think Jesus was a genuinely funny guy. And I think the reason that most of us don't see it is because uh, all humor is cultural. And what I mean by that is almost all, uh, I think all humor is tied to the culture in which it was originally spoken. And uh, I mean, if you don't believe this, I'd encourage you to go back and watch a movie you thought was funny when you were a little kid and then play it for your grandkids or your kids but before you do that, I urge you to watch it alone and you'll realize, oh, I'm in a different culture and things that I thought were funny, they aren't all that funny anymore. And if you still think they're funny, you should ask those kids later. Uh, they'll think something was funny, but it was probably you, not necessarily the movie you were looking at. Well, the Bible is rooted in a culture. It's almost 2,000 years old at its youngest part. And that's a different culture. So in addition to that, it was written in a different language, and it's been translated into our language. And I don't know any humor books that have been translated from one language to another and are 2,000 years old. Well, Jesus, I think, in some part, is trying to do what I often will do when I'm teaching you. I think Jesus is making a point to the crowd he's talking to, but he's going to use a little bit of humor. Jesus says to them, you know how sometimes when you give, like the, the priests, the really religious people, they give, and when they do, they blow these trumpets? Well, imagine you were sitting in a service, and like we've already done, the offering comes by. And as the offering bucket goes by, you get ready to give. But before you give, a trumpeter stands up, and he begins to play, and everybody looks around, and you go, good, and now you give. 
I think when Jesus said that out loud to his crowd, I think it was laugh out loud funny to them. But Jesus wasn't talking to the 21st century Georgians, so it's not so funny to you. Now, of course, even back then, we don't have any record that anybody actually blew a trumpet before they give. In fact, it, it just has this thing to do about what is a part of something of our human nature. I have had the feeling at times where I will do something generous or I will serve somebody and everything within me later wants to sort of bring that up in a conversation so I can let other people know about it. But I am really clever about doing it in such a way that they don't know I did it so they would be impressed with me. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is actually talking about. And he says, truly I tell you when they do that, when you do that, you have received your reward in full. If you do something in order to impress other people, when other people, when you give and other people look at you and you're generous and you serve and other people go, wow, look at you, you're such a great person. In the moment that they do that, that's what you wanted, that's what you got, done deal. But what nobody tells you is even though that's what you wanted, you also get something else that you might not want. You get a little more addicted. It becomes a little more easy to be addicted to the praise of people all around you and to live your life for their approval in areas that you don't necessarily want to live that way. You'll find you're becoming a little bit more of a slave. Jesus goes on and says, But when you give to the needy, when my followers give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now again, I think that's a pretty funny line if you're in their culture. I think Jesus' crowd would have thought part of that was funny. But in fact, he also is making a profound point. I recently read a commentary by a guy named James Martin, not me Martin, but written by a guy named Martin, James Martin. And in this, he talks about this point that Jesus is making. You know, we, when something becomes so deeply ingrained in us that uh, we don't even have to think about doing it, it just sort of flows out of us, we call it uh, becoming second nature. I do it, and I don't even think about it, do it. It just becomes a part of who I am. For instance, uh, when you first began to learn to tie your shoes, remember way back, or maybe you've seen your kids or your grandkids do it, and you, you really have to struggle, and you really have to think about it, and somebody has to really help you, and the first few times that you do it by yourself, well, what do you do? You go, oh, look, look, everybody, I tied my shoes. It's probably been a long time before you've gone around and gone, hey, look, Becky, I tied my shoes, because at this point, Tying shoes has become just second nature to you. You put your shoes on, and you're thinking about something else. You don't even remember sometimes tying your shoes, but they're tied. Jesus says, I want it to become second nature to you. In fact, I tried uh, recently to do what he says in this verse. When I have to think about how I tie my shoes, okay, I take one, I make a loop out of it, I take the other string, I loop around it, then I pull it through the loop that I made, and then I pull them both together. When I have to think about it, to describe it to somebody, if they said, how do you tie your shoes, it takes me a little bit of time to think about it because it's so second nature. If I sit down and I say, like I tried to do for the purpose of learning this, okay, now tie your shoes, but make your left hand do what your right hand normally does, it turns out that when it comes to tying shoes, my left hand, in fact, does not know what my right hand is doing when it comes to uh, tying my shoes. And in this, Jesus is making not only a secrecy plea to us, but he's making a very profound statement about his people. 
He's saying that when it comes to generosity from my kingdom living people, people who live for an audience of one, I want generosity to become so second nature to you that literally it's like your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. I want generosity to become like you tying your shoes. Initially when you begin to do it, initially when you begin to give, initially when you begin to serve, you feel like you almost want to blow a trumpet and let everybody know, hey, Becky, look, I noticed I made the bed. Hey, Becky, did you notice I, I cleaned the dishes after myself? Hey, did you notice I didn't throw things on the floor? But the person who lives in the power and presence of God, who has learned to live their life as if only God sees what they do, who lives in the full approval of God, fully known by God, it becomes so second nature for them to give, they don't feel the need to let anybody know. And they no longer think about when they're doing things that they, know they used to not be able to do. They no longer think, I bet everybody thinks I'm great. Instead, because they have lived in the gaze of God, their mind is now free to think more interesting things. Dallas Willard used to say, one of the things that you'll notice about spiritually mature people is the things that they no longer have to think. It's the things that no longer occupy your mind. Jesus says, his way of talking about it was, in that moment, then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Now, of course, the idea there is not that, hey, I saw what you gave and you were going to get a great mansion in heaven, but now you saw it, you did it, and somebody saw it, and now you're getting downgraded to Summer Grove. It's not, it's not that kind of idea. The idea is that the kind of person who gives in secret and it becomes so second nature to them that they live life in the kingdom for the approval of one, that giving becomes a part of their life, that they're generous in spirit and generous with their time and generous with their effort, that they become the kind of person that is generous. And the reward is you are in brand new you. Jesus has made you into a new you. And your reward is you are a kind of person who can give and who can love and can be generous with the things. And you build a faith and you receive the divine care and approval of a God who knows and loves you. This month we honor and remember Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who once was talking to his people about the desire we have to be first. And he said, keep feeling the need to be first. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. Well, that's what God wants for his followers. He wants us to grow to the place of generosity. The generosity is like us tying our shoes. And, and he does it so much that he, he wants us to know that on the backside of it, because he is so generous, there are blessings attached to it. In fact, all throughout the Bible, there are these blessings that go with this idea of growing into being a generous kind of person. So because I want to do what the Bible is trying to give us with all of these blessings, I want to encourage you to grow in this lifestyle of secret giving where you can become a truly generous person. For the rest of this message, I want to give you some of the rewards that the Bible talks come to living a generous life. So here we go. The rewards of generosity. Number one is blessing. Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we return, we've turned the word blessing into, or blessed into, uh, 
like a religious, pious kind of word, but really that's not the meaning of it. It just means a good life. It's, you have a better life if you give than if you receive. It's, it's better to give than it is to receive. Over the long haul of your life, people who give things away, they are happier than people who clutch and hoard and hold on to. Over the last few years during our Do Something campaign that we do every year, which, by the way, I'm happy to announce, we reached our goal. I'm so proud of you guys. Thank you for that generosity and spirit. But every year when we do that kind of thing, which we've been doing now more, about a decade or so, when we come to this point, I always begin to hear stories about, as we train middle and high school students, that our leaders will often challenge them. Hey, this Christmas, why don't you... Why don't you say to your parents, instead of giving me one gift, why don't, can I take that money and can I give it to, to people to help with these projects? You know, our Do Something is all about helping people who are poor in projects around the world and here at home. And every year I hear about some student that took that challenge and they had the best Christmas they ever have. I don't know how many of you know, many of you didn't know me then, but for many, many years of my life, Christmas was the worst time of year for me. And there are all kinds of reasons for that, but it just made me, I, don't, I can't explain to you all the reasons why, but I just did not enjoy the Christmas season uh, in any way at all. And an older, wiser friend who was trying to help me get my life in order uh, had seen this happen, and he said to me, hey, I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to make this a season where you really try to grow in generosity. Everybody else is giving. Why don't you see if you can grow personally in giving? He said, what I want you to do is I want you to walk around in the month of December with cash in your pocket. Now, you don't have any way of knowing this, but I don't. I have never really liked to carry cash around in my pocket. I, I don't like to spend money that I don't need to spend, and I know that I have cash. It tends to just leave me too easily, so I don't carry it. He said to me, the whole month of December, I want you to walk around with some cash in your pocket that you've already prepared to give away. And all day long, I want you to be in uh, constant kind of contact with God and allow his spirit to tell you who you need to give that money. Well, I started and I began to walk around with this money in my pocket that already in my mind, I had already set aside for that day that I was going to give away. And I would just try to listen to God to give. And randomly, honestly, I just sensed oh, I'm supposed to give it to that person. I'd walk over to somebody I didn't know and I'd say, hey, I just wanted to bless you with this. Here, uh, this is for you. Now, some days there wouldn't be any, and I'd take that money from that day, and I'd combine it with the money from the next day, and then the next day, or the next day, uh, somebody just got a little bit more. Christmas has become my favorite time of year because it's the kind of time where I get to give and the, the blessing that comes from me giving. Now, I know, I know, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, why didn't he tell that story in December so I could get me some of that money? <laughs> well, I want to remind you, Jesus said, it is more blessed for you to give than it is to receive. In fact, that's the first real blessing of generosity is that you get to be blessed personally. Let's go on to number two. The second one is that there's more relational connection. We live in a society that's become increasingly wealthy and more relationally disconnected. In fact, I don't know that there's been a culture that's as relationally disconnected as we are when being so incredibly wealthy. But I want you to take a look at what one of the followers of Jesus, a guy named Paul, writes to a group of givers in the early church, he says, about the people they had given it to. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because it's a passing grace that God has given you. 
In other words, people who are generous make relational connection. And not, I'm not talking about you become deep friends, but what I mean is the people then go and, and they remember you and they give thanks to you and they, they pour back blessing on you and you become the kind of person that is more open to people and more caring toward people. You don't isolate yourself. I hear this from volunteers uh, all the time, that they experience a connection when they begin to give themselves away in a cause. I recently read, uh, you know, a lot of our country doesn't have the great fire departments like we do in Coweta County. Uh, instead, there's still a lot of rural areas have volunteer fire departments. And I heard about one particular fire department that's volunteer, and they have to supplement uh, their volunteer efforts with raising money from the community. And they had a T-shirt that they were wearing around, and it said, if you will come to our pancake breakfast, we will come to your fire. Well, that's the way it is when you begin to give. You develop a relational connection, and it's a reciprocal kind of thing. You begin to open to people, and as you give, you receive relational connection from folks. Number three, you get freedom. When I focus on my little life and my little me and getting what I want, I become a slave to, well, I become a slave to me. I become a slave to my desires. Here's the law in the kingdom of God. Freely you have received, freely give. What is there? What is there that I have that God did not give me? My life, my body, my brain, the desire I have to to achieve and to do good, the thoughts that I have have led to my life going forward, the air in my lungs, this moment that I'm alive, the interaction with people around me, everything that I have came from Him. He generously gives to me every single moment. Generously, I have received. Generosity liberates me from the freedom of the things that want me to hold on to them. It allows me to give back in the freedom that I have received it. Number four, is joy. We're told this great story of the first people of God, the nation of Israel, that they've been asked to bring forward offering by their king. And it says, the people rejoiced over the offerings for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with joy. I'll tell you how deeply God has wired you up for generosity and how incredibly good our God is and wants to reinforce this in you. When you give this is a scientific fact. When you give money or you give of your time or you give in serving another person, there is something triggered in your body that releases hormones in your body that are good for you, bodies uh, that make you feel good, like oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin and other hormones that has become known in scientific circles as the helper's high. On the other hand, for people who clutch and hold on to, stingy people also secrete a hormone which leads to further stress in their life. Our God so much wants us to be like Him, to freely give like we have freely received, that when we give, He blesses us back with this helper's high. Even down to the core of our DNA, we are wired to be generous. We receive joy. Number five, we get God's delight. Generosity Generous people experience the delight of God. This one has this amazing verse I love. It says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. You know, according to uh, Forbes magazine, the richest man in the world, do you know who the richest man in the world is? It's right now Jeff Bezos, and he's somewhere close to $100 billion in net worth. Now let's imagine today that today Jeff Bezos was sitting there next to you in the theater. That would be great, wouldn't it? 
and you notice him and you recognize who he is and the buckets come by and he starts patting he goes ah, i want to give but i don't have any money and he looks at you and you know who he is and he says would you lend me 20 do you think he's good for 20 dollars he'll probably pay you back here's what i want to say to you your financial planner may not say this to you very much but you're gonna die and everything you have it won't be yours anymore you're gonna die no matter how much you take care of yourself, it's coming, and probably faster than you think. What would cause you to not give away what you cannot keep so that you could gain from God a reward eternally that you can't lose? I imagine in my mind, standing before God, can you imagine what it's going to be like to stand in front of God and Him see you and He go, okay, let's see, let's settle. Oh, looks like I have a whole bunch of IOUs. You were so generous with the poor around you. You were so kind. It looks like I owe you a lot. What a day that will be when you receive God's delight for what you've become. Number six, there's a blessing that goes to the next generation. This one I also love. It's from Psalm 37. It says of the righteous, they are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. It's so fascinating to me that it does not say in the text that their children will be blessed. I'm sure that's true. But what it says is their children will be a blessing. One of the things I love so much about mission trips like the one you heard about today that we're going to be taking uh, to Haiti again this summer is that particularly when we get to take young people and I get to take 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds and they go and they see a whole other environment for the first time and they begin to open up their heart and I, I watch their heart expand and grow in generosity toward people and in that moment I know the blessing of what's coming to the next generation and what they are expanding to become as we give it has a generational impact, and it goes on to the next generation. Number seven, when you live generously, you get a new financial partner. When you step into generosity, you align your finances with the kingdom of God. Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. You will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you receive back. Now, because the reality of God's generosity back to us is so deeply and so powerful, I need to say that you'll notice he doesn't say you'll get money back necessarily. That God will bless you in other ways, but you don't give so you can be blessed. I grew up in a very small church, and in that small church, anytime somebody put in a $100 bill, it was very impressive and pastor one time grabs a hundred dollar bill out and he holds it up and goes whoever gave this we're so thankful for what you did if you'll let me know who who you were you get to pick the next three hymns well a little shy elderly lady came to the pastor while everybody was still there and uh, she said i get to pick the next three hymns and he says yes thank you so much for your gift and she looked out at the men of the congregation and went i pick him and him and him okay that's a made-up story that didn't actually ever happen. But the point uh, I'm trying to make is, is that you don't give for material blessings, to get money back or to have something materially come toward you, or even, even a trophy spouse. You give because God gets aligned with you. 
He begins to align with your financial life. And God will give back to you in ways you cannot imagine. I share with you the testimony of hundreds of people I know personally and thousands of people I've heard from around the world and from Becky and I personally. You can't outgive God. This is true with your time. If you're not volunteering, you should be volunteering. You should be giving of your time. And what you'll find is, is if you give away your time, you will find that God will make more of your time and you will receive back as much as you possibly give. This is also true with your money. The beginning level of giving for God's people has always been uh, what's known as a tithe. In the nation of Israel, uh, the word tithe simply just meant 10%, and that's been the standard for some time. But people have this tendency to get caught up in not giving this 10%, their first fruits back to God. It's, it's hard to let go of money. So at one point, God says to them, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that it will not be room to store it. In the kingdom of God, there is this reality of another kind. See, in our normal way of thinking about it, if I have $100 and I take 10 of it and I give it away, then I only have 90 and that's less than 100. But in kingdom math, when I take 100 and I give 10 away, God does more with the 90 than I could have done with the 100. He expands it and he blesses it. And for those of you who are a little skeptical and you're not really sure if you can sense that God is with you, this is the only area of your life that God says to you, test me in this. Do what I ask you to do and see if for sure I don't tell you the truth that I won't give back to you. That's the last of it. You get the blessing of a financial partner from God. And there is the sure blessing that he will outgive you. Now, I know it can be a little weird sitting in a church and you're listening to a pastor talk about money and the blessing of giving. But I want to remind you, we all received the offering. And I think it's illegal to pass the buckets twice. <laughs> okay, that may not be true, but we're not going to do it. Here's why I'm talking about this today. Well, Jesus talks about it. And I know this is a problem in our lives because it's been a problem in my life. But I also know because Jesus has worked with me for many years, I know the blessing that comes when you trust him in this. But also, for those of you who are Christ followers, for those of you who are Christ followers who are part of Community Christian, I want you to know why I have worked so hard for the last almost three decades to lead our church to be an exceptionally generous church. I want our church to be known as a place where generosity just flows out of us. And the reason for that is not so people look at us and go, wow, they do so much generous things for people. It's because I want us to be a loving church. And you cannot love without being generous. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Victor Hugo who wrote in Les Miserables, you can love, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. We followed one who showed us our God is so good and so generous and is constantly giving to us. He is gracious to us every moment of every day. In fact, just a few moments before Jesus talked about secret giving, he was talking to these same followers and he said, I want you to be outrageously generous toward those who are evil to you. I want you to love your enemies. And then he told them why. This is why I want us to be generous, he said. Then, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. We're never more like God than when we give. 
Yes, there's blessings that come back to us because we can't outgive God. He is so incredibly generous. But when we give, we bear a striking family resemblance to the God that we love. And as we develop in this area, I want us to be the kind of people that represent him so well. So to wrap this up, I have asked that our worship leaders would come back out and that they would perform a song for you. Now, this is the kind of song that this song in and of itself is going to be a blessing to you because it's a beautiful song. And as they sing it, it's got these simple, beautiful words, and I want you to let them wash over you, and you'll hear them. And at some point, I think you may be able to sing them with them. That's okay. But if you don't want to, that's okay. But then by the end, I think you'll see this is really a prayer that all of us should be praying. So I want you to stay where you are. And I know some of you, you're like, I'm not really crazy about music. It's all loud. This ain't that. This ain't that kind of music. I want you to listen to this song, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to wrap this up. Let's listen together.